this year talking about faith. Uh, we're actually going to kind of talk about it today, but we're pivoting out of that and into a season um, that we've talked some about, Lent, right, is a season where you t- traditionally, at least, like, you give things up. And, and so as I was, I was thinking about, like, what to do next and where to go from here, I thought, you know what, let's do a, uh, a, about five weeks on um, some things that maybe we just need to hand over, like, things to, to give up uh, in life. And so, um, the nice pivot is the way in which um, fear uh, is the thing we need to give up today. And um, I actually think it limits, it connects quite nicely with, with the previous series on faith because I think it's a limiting factor uh, in our faith. And, uh, and frankly, as we allow fear uh, to, uh, to dictate our lives, uh, not only can it weaken our faith, it actually can erode it almost completely. And I think We'll see that today in the passage that we're going to read. Um, I'm back in the book of Judges and, uh, and in the, the, the story of Gideon. Uh, I was captivated by Gideon uh, earlier this year as uh, we, we started the year with that week of prayer. Uh, I continue to, to, to find um, his story to be one in which well, I'll just say it. I, I see myself in Gideon. Maybe that's just it. Like, there's, there's a lot in there that, I'm, that I find uh, myself relating to. I, I see uh, what he's going through, and I think, yeah, I, I can understand you, Gideon. Uh, I understand the ways in which you both triumph, uh, and I definitely understand the ways in which uh, you, you either shrink back or you, or you, uh, you allow uh, your past to limit you. So today we're going to read from Judges 6. Uh, I'd actually ask that you get your Bibles out so that we can read together. We're going to pause uh, throughout, and, um, and I want to start up at the beginning. I, I know for the, for the scripture reading today, we started, uh, I want to say, in verse 11, but uh, the, the preamble to all of this in verse 1 and, and following is, is equally important, so I'd ask that uh, you go ahead. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there's definitely one in your pew, uh, and so you're going to want to get that out uh, and take a look and, and, and perhaps take some, take some notes along the way. Um, the, in a way, part of, a big piece of what I want to say today is encapsulated in three simple points, and that is um, the pain of your past is often, uh, it, it generates your fears, uh, which then limits your future and your faith. So the pain of your past, it generates your fears, and it limits your future and your faith. And in, in doing so, I, I think the language of, of slavery and enslavement, which is going to pop up quite a bit here in Judges 6, uh, is an appropriate way to talk about what your fear is doing to you. And so we need to then address uh, ways in which we can get around that. But uh, as we read together, let's open up Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> if you don't know anything about the book of Judges, it, there's a cycle uh, that we're in the middle of where uh, Israel does right, and then they have this period of blessing. They're just coming off of 40 years of good times, and then they kind of fall away from God, and, and then God sends, uh, in this case, the Midianites, and, and then uh, there's a need for some kind of repentance, and a judge gets sent, and, and then everything gets right again, and, and then the cycle just con- continues, frankly, throughout the entire book of Judges. So uh, with that preamble, we've got uh, verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil 
in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Uh, seven years is, uh, is a long time, right? And we'll see what happens over these seven years is that the Midianites, they, um, they pillage and, and ravage the land, and, and they're these big bullies. And you can imagine yourself over the course of seven years is what I want you to do, uh, living into this story where day after day, year after year, uh, these people continue to come in and they, uh, they enslave you and they oppress you and they are uh, uh, hostile to you. And you find yourself asking the question, you know, Lord, Lord when are you going to show up? When are you going to do something about this? And so... Uh, Seven years this goes on. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, it says. And, became, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens uh, that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. And so what do they do? They are being oppressed as a people, and so they hide out. They, they find themselves in the mountains, right? Or they find themselves constructing uh, walls, defenses, fortresses, to, to try to defend against this people. Uh, and in this way, I mean, this is a natural thing to do when you are unsafe, when, when somebody is coming at you, what do you do? You either run and hide or you construct defenses. And so this is precisely what the Israelites do here. And in verse three, and whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the East would come against them. They'd encamp against them and they'd devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey for they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And so here we have a people who is many in number, and they continue to take all of the things that Israel has planted and all of Israel's joy, and Israel can't find any relief from these people, right? And you can imagine this going on for seven straight years, right? Seven straight years uh, of this kind of activity, where again and again, you try to plant something, you try to do something, you try to put your next foot forward, and what happens? Well, something comes in and wipes it out. I'm sure that gets tiring uh, over the course of this time here, and indeed it does, because in verse 6 we read what? And Israel was brought very low, right? Here they are. They're low, they're, they're low uh, economically. I'm sure their morale is low. They are feeling at the bottom of a totem pole because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. And perhaps you've been here. I certainly have. And, uh, and I know most of you, if not all of you, have been at some point where you're at a place and you say, God, help. Like this is going on for seven years when are you going to do something? What, what, what has happened that these people, they, they keep coming in and they keep taking that which is ours. And they, they are stealing our joy and they are stealing our good and they are stealing these things from us that, that are frankly rightfully ours. When are you going to do something? And they're crying out 
for help to the Lord. Now, in this situation, God has a very normal response, and it's what we get in the, in the verses that follow here. He uh, typically sends a prophet, and the prophet, in a way, has just one job, and the prophet's job is to speak the word of the Lord, right? And so when, when you meet a prophet, whether it's here in Judges or in, uh, in the prophetic books themselves, Famous phrase is, thus saith the Lord, right? And this is what a prophet does, is, is a prophet speaks on behalf of God. And it's interesting in this case what the prophet says. In a way, it's, it's what the prophet really says every time. And so, frankly, if you're in a place today where you're saying from the pew right now, God, help me. I've been struggling for seven years with this thing. It seems like I can't defeat it. It seems like it always gets the best of me. My goal this morning is to be the prophet who says the thing that's going to be said right here. And I hope you can hear it from the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God, you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in, those land, in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. And here's what the prophet is saying, if I can translate it to you. The prophet is saying, your story is too small. And you need to expand the story that you're living in. And the story that I want you to live in, God says to you through the prophet, is a story in which I have redeemed you and I have pulled you out of oppression and I've pulled you out of slavery and I've into a land that is not your own and I've given you all that you can need. And I have just given you one request and that is whatever you do, don't fear the gods of that land. And yet fear, verse 10 here, you shall not fear of the Amorites, you shall not fear the gods of the land, and yet fear is all over the place in the book of Judges, and especially here in chapter 6. And once we hop into the, the Gideon narrative, you're going to see it uh, rife through Gideon's story, is that he is living in a narrative that says, these last seven years... I have learned that I cannot trust anything. Uh, these last seven years, I've learned that, man, uh, I am, uh, uh, at, every corn, at every turn, something bad is going to happen to me if I'm not careful. And so I need to put defenses up. And I need to hide. And I need to run to the mountains. And God is saying, you shall not fear the gods of this land. In fact, I would say it this way, and, and someone can come at me later and, and show me somewhere else in Scripture where maybe I'm wrong a little bit, but I actually think throughout all of Scripture, there's only one thing, one and only one thing that we are intended to fear in this life, and that is 
Yahweh. And that kind of fear is a different kind of fear. And let me just give you an aside here. When God says that you are to fear the Lord, it is not a fear because God is an angry God who is about to smite you at every turn. It is a fear that, is, that comes out of respect and for the recognition of how big this God is and how powerful this God is. It comes out of reverence. It comes out of an understanding that this God is the God we serve and that this God, praise be to God, is a loving God who has come to give you the best for your life. And so whatever other fears might come along, and they're all real, this is the important part. These fears that we all have, whether it's the fear of snakes or something else, there's a legitimate reason usually for these fears to exist in your life and mine. I don't want to discount that. Often they come out of the pain of your past. And here with Gideon, you've got seven years of pain and trauma and turmoil and their lives are being turned over and they're living in that small narrative. And seven years is small, but we all know seven years is not small in our lives. In God's span, seven years is nothing. But in our lives, seven years feels like everything. My son's been alive for seven years, for Pete's sake. It's everything for him. So as we read the story of Gideon, I want you to be open and and kind of aware uh, of the ways in which the pain of his past and Israel's past, it generates this fear within him, and then it limits his future and his faith. And yet I, thought, I think also we see in the story of Gideon and, and what I find so powerful in it is he's, he's this wonderfully human character who in all of his flaws uh, manages to overcome and to trust and to, to find faith and to do the very thing that, that actually frees him from the fears of his past and to overcome, ultimately, the Midianites, the thing that they are most afraid of. So let's read together, starting in verse 11 now. <clears throat> the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. First thing to notice is, why in the world is he beating out wheat uh, Well, because he's hiding, right? He's hiding out, which is what you do when you're afraid. You find that place where you know you're not going to get caught or you're not going to get seen, and you go there to hide away. And this is precisely what he's doing. And then we continue, and the angel of the Lord appears to him and says to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And I just... I absolutely love this line right here. Two really important things are happening. The Lord is with you, which is frankly all you need at that point. The Lord is with you. Like Yahweh's here. Yahweh's with you. This is all you need. Don't fear the gods of the land. The Lord is with you. But then he calls him, O mighty man of valor. There's an irony that will become very apparent quickly, uh, and, and that is Gideon himself clearly does not believe himself to be a mighty man 
in any way. He will make this abundantly obvious. And it's not so much that he doubts the angel here, though probably. It's that the angel, and and frankly God, can see something in Gideon that Gideon, for one reason or another, frankly his fear, uh, does not allow him to see. That he is a mighty man. That God has made him for this moment. And he needs to get something out of his way. He needs to remove the pain of his past, which has generated the fears of his present, so that his future is not, in fact, limited. So the angel comes. We all want to meet an angel in our lives, and Gideon gets one. Uh, And the angel says, The Lord's with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, What would you say, by the way, before we read it, you know, You've got an angel coming to you, and the angel says that, and, and then what do you say? What's, what's your response? Maybe it's thank you, or wow, I didn't, uh, I didn't know you'd say that. that. That makes me feel good. Or uh, Gideon's response is, it could be called a complaint. Maybe it's a complaint. It's, um, it's a revelation into his world, into the, the narrative that he's living into, the, the story that he's telling himself day in, day out. It, it shows us kind of what's underneath uh, the way he's living his life and how he thinks about it all. And so his response to the angel is, um, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, This is the first part of the the thing the angel says, right? If the Lord is with us, well, then why has all this happened? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now, well, now the Lord's forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. I love the Old Testament, and I've said this many times, because of just how human it is. I'm not here to tell you that Gideon's answer is necessarily right or wrong. It's just kind of like an honest assessment of where he's at in his life at this point. It's not a great place, and it needs correction, and he needs the angel of the Lord to come alongside him and to show him a better way but it's simply where he's at. And so he's asking a question that I'm going to guess most of you have asked at some point, which is, why, God? Why? Why did this terrible thing happen? Why, when I was a child, did I lose this best friend? Or, or why did this trauma happen to me five years ago? Or why, why, why? I mean, you can name it, Right? You've certainly been there. And maybe you've gotten an answer for that. If you have, that's a wonderful thing to get an answer to the question, why? I want to free you, though, from the need for an answer to the question, why? Because, as happens in this story here, we don't actually always get an answer to the question, why? My guess is, in part, because it's usually quite complicated anyway. It's a hard question to answer. 
It's a worthy question to ask. I actually think asking the question why uh, in a variety of places and at times is, is really important. But sometimes we get to the end of that questioning and we must live with, well, what now? <laughs> what now is the question we should be asking? But he's still stuck in the past. Gideon's thinking, why did these bad things happen? Why was that happening? Why, and if you hear it here, he says, why did you forsake us? Why did you forget us? And if you think to yourself, well, Gideon, you're way off course here. How dare you? Right? Just do remind yourself that other figures in your Bible do ask the same question about God forsaking them. David in Psalm 22, and Jesus from the cross saying the exact same words. Why, God, why have you forsaken me? In both these instances, however, and perhaps maybe what's lacking in Gideon is that I think, uh, certainly in David with, with Psalm 22, you see the question and then it gives way to faith as that psalm goes on. It gives way to trust. It gives way to saying, you know, these terrible things have happened to me, but God, I do trust you. I do follow you. I do want what is best. I do still need you. And I'm certain that Jesus from the cross, though he doesn't quote all of Psalm 22, he knows all of Psalm 22, and he does so with a faithfulness. And this is actually where Gideon gets to, he just needs a little help to get there. And so as we continue in the story, here he is and he, he's, he, he's asking this angel, like, why has this happened? Why has God forsaken us? Uh, we've been told that God used to free people from Egypt and, well, we're not experiencing any of this. And then the angel, you might expect to try to answer that question, the angel just doesn't even bother. The angel goes on. And so in verse 14, it says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And it's almost as if the angel just hasn't even been paying attention. Like, he is clearly not exemplifying might in this moment. It's as if we skipped from the verse prior where the angel says, you're a mighty man of valor, and then he just simply repeats, like, yeah, go in this might, right? Without all the intervening questions of, like, why? Why have you forsaken me? But we get twice here. God looking into the soul of this man and saying, Gideon, you are a mighty man. I know this about you even if you don't know this about you. And you are allowing the pain of your past to generate the fear of your present. And if you're not careful, it is going to limit your future and your faith. And so he says, go in this might. Go and save Israel. Do not I send you. And then Gideon, uh, being Gideon, uh, responds, uh, says, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, 
I am the least in my father's house, right? We're, we're the weakest. We're the least. God has just said to him, you are a mighty man. Go in might. I see something in you. And Gideon's response is, you've got the wrong guy. I'm a weak man. In fact, we're the weakest of them all. And I'm the least of my family. Clearly living out of a script of fear. But the Lord doesn't leave him there. And so the Lord says to him, I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. So we've got a problem. The problem that is all over this chapter here is that the Midianites uh, are frankly bullying the Israelites, right? And that for seven years straight, there's just this history of Israel getting beat up by the Midianites, And they're brought low, and they're crying out for help, and the prophet comes in and tries to give them a clearer, bigger picture, and says, listen, you serve a God who brought you out of Egypt. You need to live into a bigger story. And Midian, or Gideon rather, he is, is living out of his smaller story. This fear of what has been happening And he's having trouble getting over it. Now, it's important here that a few things are going on. This is primarily not about Gideon, is it? It is about Gideon, but it's not about Gideon. In in the same way, it's about you, but it's also not about you. There is one character that is on every page of your Bible and that is on every page of history over time and space, and that is God. And this is always all about God. And as long as you understand that this history that we are living out and that we're part of is primarily, first and foremost, a history of God— Then the next question is, well, how do we fit into this story? And how can we play the role that we're supposed to play in this? And how can we fear this God and not the gods of whatever land we're living in? And God is saying in this moment here, and what God wants to say to your life this morning, I've seen worse. (laughs) I've seen worse. I've I've been around a while. I've seen lots of things happen in this world. And I've, I've seen all of these things happen. And I know where you're at, is what God would say. And I've seen worse. And I can handle this. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And then very specifically, he names fear as the problem. The fear of these gods in the land. Or in this case with Gideon, the fear of these people. As you'll see, he, he's even like later on in the story, and this was from a number of weeks ago when I preached on the, the, the later part of this text. He's even afraid of his own people and his own family. And he comes to this moment where the, the angel convinces him to tear down the altars, right? And he does it. When? In the middle of the night. He has to do it in the middle of the night. 
Why? Because he was afraid. He was afraid of his, his, uh, his friends and the townspeople. And it even says he was afraid of his family. And then this beautiful thing happens. Well, one, his fears were, uh, came true. Because <laughs> the townspeople tried to kill him. Uh, but he shouldn't have been afraid of his family, it turns out. And that in this way, his dad jumps in and rescues him and says, hey, don't come after my son. If Baal's got a problem, let Baal handle it. Don't do Baal's work for him, right? And God shows up in this way in the form of his father. And then the fears continue, and, and, and he, uh, he res- resolves the fear with the, with the fleece, and we've talked about this, but what happens there is, is he begins to take these steps of faith, ever so slowly at first, then eventually some strides. And all of this is to demonstrate what? It is to demonstrate that, yes, this is a story about Gideon, who is called a mighty man, and this is in a way about him and his might, but in a primary way, this is about the God of the universe and about God's ability to do God-sized things and our willingness or not to tap into that. So there's this pain in Gideon's past. And it is uh, generating the fear of his present. And as it's doing so, he's, he's hiding and he's limiting himself. And he's saying, I'm, I'm not big enough for this job. I'm not big enough to, to, to defeat the Midianites. I'm not big enough uh, and you should find somebody else, right? I'm the least uh, of these and I'm the, I'm, I'm the least in my family. And you should really, God, uh, you really should find someone else. And, and God has to repeat, no, you're, you're my man, and you are strong enough, and I need you to go save Israel now. And it turns out he does. So what happens? And what should you do this morning? <clears throat> First of all, it's worth noting that the effects that fear has on Gideon and you in your life uh, is any number of things. It's actually hard for me to overestimate the way in which fear creeps into our lives uh, and has any number of deleterious effects on our souls and on the lives that we live. And so, one, it, it keeps us small and scared. And it keeps Gideon small and scared. And when an angel comes and says, you're a mighty man, go save Israel, he should be ready to jump into action, and instead his fear has him small and scared, saying, I don't think so. I don't know that I'm the right man. Fear also has a tendency to stunt and even erode our faith. And so Gideon is left asking, where is God? Where was God as all of this is happening? And I'm afraid it's all going to happen again. And that God's just going to abandon us one more time. And you can imagine over time living out that narrative, saying, I don't think so. I'm going to keep it small. I'm going to keep it safe. I'm going to hide in the hills. I'm going to put up the defenses. What happens? 
his faith shrinks down to. Eventually, it might even be eroded altogether. Fear also has a tendency to, to sap us of our joy uh, and the things that just simply make us alive. Like, life is filled, or supposed to be, with a vibrancy and an expectation and a hope. And yet, when we live out the scripts of fear, what happens? Well, we, we just keep waiting for the Midianites to come in and, and to do their role, which is to take our food and, and to, to make us run to the hills and, and to keep us, again, small and scared and put up our defenses and to live a life that is actually not filled with joy or, or the amount of uh, life and aliveness that God would desire for us. And then the fourth thing, and and perhaps maybe the most obvious of all, is that our fear steals our peace. Our peace. Fear is it's it's us being afraid that we are not secure. That we that we lack something. It's not safe. That the world is not safe. And I will say this: like there are plenty of places in which the world is not safe. But we have a God who is bigger than all of that. This is what our scriptures attest to again and again. That whatever unsafety is out there in the world, and it is, it's unsafe. We have a God who is bigger. And we need to trust that. And we need to live into the narrative that is the bigger narrative that says, I rescued you from Egypt. I pulled you out of slavery. I pulled you out of oppression. I've put you in a land that isn't yours. I've given you all the gifts that you can need in this life. Now live into that abundance, right? And so what, what, what should we do with our pasts? With, with the pain that we keep living into, the, the small fears and the limiting factors on, on our future and, and our faith, I'd say simply like, start with naming them. Just like today, right now, like what is it in your life? Think back. What is holding you back? What are those scripts that you keep telling yourself again and again? Name the fear. Because if you're going to defeat it, you've got to know who your enemy is. Fear is often masked by, um, well, any number of things. And so I'm going to read a quick list here for you of things that you might be thinking that you're experiencing, but oftentimes under that thing is this other thing, is the fear itself. And so you might think that you just are experiencing anxiety when in reality below that sits a fear, a fear that erupts into anxiety. Or maybe it's anger Maybe you have this routine thing where you just get angry out of nowhere. And why? Well, the anger is a mask to something else. Something you're afraid of, perhaps. Maybe it's a lack of control. Procrastination. Maybe it's all that time you're spending on social media. Why are you doing it? Well, there's a lot of reasons. But one reason is you actually don't want to do the thing. You're afraid to face the thing that you're supposed to be doing. And it's time to face that fear. 
Or maybe it's the control issues, perfectionism, defensiveness, jealousy, avoidance. Maybe it's your alcohol use. Maybe it's your television use, YouTube uh, holes, video games, the numbing out, the, 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 the desire to just say, ah, all of these things are rushing in on me. I just need to, I just need to go to my happy place. And, and you numb out in some fashion. Maybe it's your overuse uh, of, of sarcasm as a way of protecting yourself. Maybe it's your cynicism, indecision, overeating, undereating, social withdrawal, physical symptoms, overworking. How many of us in here do that in order to face the fears we might have at home that I'm not the father that I should be or the, the husband that I should be? There's all these other things out there, and I think under a lot of them, sits this issue of fear. And so first and foremost, you've got to name what it is. You've got to name your enemy if you're going to defeat it. And then once you do that, well, then you get to work, right? And then it's time to face your fears. And it's time to, uh, to, to maybe, if, if my, he's, not, he's not in here. Oh, he is here. Okay. Someone in my life is afraid of the dark, uh, and uh, I'm regularly saying, yeah, it's time, to, it's time to face that fear, right? Well, I could say the same of snakes for me, right? Maybe I need to just like go to the herpetarium or whatever the word is uh, and, uh, and start handling snakes or something. Or maybe we could do that in this ch- the church service together. <laughs> we, we could make this a part of, uh, oh no. Uh, the point is this. If you face your fear, perhaps the best thing that could happen to you is to get bitten by that snake. And here's why. You might be so, yeah, I know, you're thinking, that sounds silly. Because once you do, as long as it's not a venomous, poisonous snake that eventually kills you, uh, (laughs) you realize, wait a second, that wasn't as bad as I thought, right? I was able to withstand the pain of whatever that is. And it wasn't nearly as scary as I thought it was going to be, right? And so maybe it's like the fear of public speaking or, or maybe it's like the, some sort of, uh, these are all in some ways like tri- more trivial fears. But what is it for you? That feel of fear of like failure or the fear of not living up to your uh, mother's or father's expectation or... Like, lean into it and say, like, what's the, like, if, if that does happen, well, what then? Does my world really fall apart? And the answer is usually no. I'm going to be just fine. And that I can't let it dictate my life. I can't let these fears dictate my life. Maybe it's a fear of what's going to happen in November. <clears throat> if one side or the other wins. Oh my goodness, if they get into office, everything's going to fall apart. Well, first I'd ask, is that true? Second, I'd ask, do you have any control over it? And third, I'd say, it's time to give up those fears and to live a life that is uh, rooted in the promise that God, 
the character who shows up on every page, <laughs> the character that shows up on every page of history, has it under control. And it's going to be okay. And then the third thing I'd say in terms of well, what to do next is to frankly just do something. All the self-reflection in the world is great uh, if you then do something with it. The only way to get out of your fear cycle is to actually move. Like, I mean, like, physically move. And this is precisely what we see in Gideon here. Gideon is living by this fear, and, he's, and the angel comes to him and says, look, you need to tear down these altars. These altars are killing y'all. And he's like, I, I don't know. Then he does. And when he does, what happens? Well, he almost dies, but he doesn't die, right? The snake bites him, but not in a lethal or, or mortal kind of way. He, he survives it, and he realizes, wait, I, I took that step of faith, and it turns out God showed up. Maybe it's time to take another one. And so then... He casts the, the fleece. And, and then pretty soon, you fast forward, he's building an army. He's building an army to defeat the Midianite people. And so I'd ask you this morning, one, have you named your fear? It's time to face your fear. And then what are you going to do about it? What steps are you going to take? I assure you, that you are a mighty man of valor, a mighty woman of valor, and that God is with you. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God, we come this morning and um, we praise you. We praise you because you are a God uh, who offers us a bigger story to live into. A story that is indeed, from start to finish, your story. A story that is filled with freedom. A story that is filled with uh, movement from from exile into and out of slavery and, and, and into a free place a place that is promised to us, a place flowing with milk and honey. And God, I do believe that, that some of that is experienced in the here and now. God, even in the tough times, you promise us your peace and your presence, and you promise us that you are bigger yet. And that God, whatever story we're in, is, we're only halfway through it. And that there is more yet to come. And that it is not over. And God, that you desire for each and every one of us to live lives of freedom. God, we started this year with a passage that is around many of our wrists right now. Luke 4, 18 and 19. And Jesus, you stood up in front of your congregation and you said that the The Spirit of the Lord was anointing you. I believe that Spirit is here anointing us, proclaiming good news. 
opening the eyes of the blind. God, open our eyes this morning to the ways in which we have allowed fear to get too much of a hold on us, to let go of those stories of fear and to live into a bigger story that you have for us. Lord, you say that you are proclaiming good news to the poor and sight to the blind, but you're also proclaiming freedom to the captive. And God, we say this morning that we want your freedom. We want freedom from sin. We want freedom from old stories, limiting stories, from pain of a past that we can't change. And to live into a future, Lord, that is beyond our wildest imaginations because you are writing it. And God, may indeed this be the year of your favor upon us. We pray all of this in Christ's holy name. Amen.